Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. I am a female leader in the professional sports industry, and my front office resume includes titles like General Manager, Vice President of Corporate Partnerships, and Director of Sales. Did you know that less than 25% of leadership roles in the sports and entertainment industry are held by women? We've got work to do. Why? Because companies with gender and or culturally diverse executive teams were 21% to 35% more likely to outperform the competition. Simply put, diverse leadership helps your bottom line. The Leadership is Female podcast is here to help. Marian Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. So I am here as your host to create visibility by interviewing successful women who work in sports to uncover opportunities and teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. I believe there's enough room at the table for all of us. Take your seat and join me week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Hey leaders, let me be blunt. Sometimes in order to level up, you've got to get a new job. Because of this awesome community we have created here for engaged sports professionals and leaders in adjacent industries, opportunities are floating to this community. Do you want to hear about them? I want to share these new opportunities with you. Recently, I've included listings of available jobs in our newsletter and will continue to do so. If you aren't on that newsletter list, you can add your email at leadershipisfemale.com. And if you are hiring, email me at my personal email, emilyjansen at gmail.com, so that I can share your open role. If we want to continue to add diverse, talented leaders to our businesses, we have to look for new ways to recruit this diverse talent. 80% of our listeners on the Leadership is Female podcast are women. Find your next great hire here. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of Leadership is Female. Before we dive into the interview, wanted to share with you just a big thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for engaging with us. It's been such an awesome year in 2021. Incredible women have come on this podcast and shared their story specifically to help you grow. How amazing is that? We talk about how women can be competitive. Women can pull up the ladder behind them, but that is not happening here. That is not in this space. In this space, you see women serving women, women helping women, women using their voices to share their stories so that others can achieve their dreams. How amazing is that? We have grown this year. We've reached new listeners. We've reached new countries. Last year at this time, we were in 14 countries. This year in 31. I think that's a pretty cool statistic. And our followers have grown by 341%. So again, another gigantic thank you for all of you for helping to lead her forward by sharing Leadership is Female. Want to get into this episode. I've got an incredible interview to bring to you with Emma Tiedemann. Emma is the director of broadcasting for the Portland Sea Dogs, and she calls basketball in the offseason for the University of New England and is a producer for the main Celtics in the G League. Emma joined the Sea Dogs, the AA affiliate of the Boston Red Sox, in March of 2020, becoming just the fifth lead broadcaster in the Sea Dogs' 27-year history. 
She spent the previous two seasons as the director of broadcasting and media relations for the Lexington Legends, where she called back-to-back South Atlantic League championships. How cool is that? In 2019, she was honored as the South Atlantic League's Media Relations Director of the Year. During the offseason in Kentucky, she served as the voice of Moorhead State University women's basketball on ESPN and radio. Prior to breaking into affiliated baseball, Emma spent one season with St. Paul Saints in Minnesota, two seasons with the Medford Rogues in Oregon, and one year with the Matza Miners in Palmer, Alaska. The Dallas, Texas native graduated from University of Missouri in 2015 with a degree in education and minor in history. Emma has a really cool story, and it's Emma's tenacity and her passion for broadcasting that has led her to where she is today. It's evident in this interview, and it's completely inspiring. Her constant asking for feedback on her work has been the key ingredient to her success. She's also got a grandfather who spent many, many years in the industry, who is her mentor and uh, still professor today. So you'll definitely want to hear what she's got to say about him. Listen in today to uncover what it takes to be a broadcaster in affiliated baseball and learn the tactics you must do in order to level up in your career. Thank you so much to Emma for this incredible interview. Let's go. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast. Emma Tiedemann, Director of Broadcasting for the Portland Sea Dogs, and she also calls basketball in the offseason for the University of New England and is the producer for the Maine Celtics in the G League. Welcome to the podcast, Emma. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm thrilled to talk to you. I was introduced to you from a mutual friend, Jill Guerin, but as we know, uh, the female broadcasting world is a tight-knit group and one that continues to get a lot of, of traction and growth and you women are really making waves in the industry and so it's been so fun to interview so many female broadcasters on the podcast and I know the audience really is excited about it so so thrilled to have you here with us today. Thank you. So can you tell us who you are and uh, what you do? Um, I'm Emma Tiedemann. I'm the director of broadcasting for the Portland Sea Dogs, double A affiliate of the Boston Red Sox, uh, and among a, many other things for the team, but I'm the voice of the Sea Dogs. That is awesome. And double uh, A affiliate of the Red Sox. How has that been for you over, you know, the last couple of seasons? Uh, well, different. Um, I came up here in March of 2020. Um, I was thrilled to be working with the Sea Dogs. You know, I'd been in minor league baseball the last couple of years um, and have known about the Sea Dogs and how they have one of the top reputations in the country of, of all levels and stuff. So I was thrilled to come up here and uh, <laughs> I was I was making my way up. I was listening to the radio and there were things like, oh, this COVID, uh, COVID uh, thing, you know, it's getting worse and worse. Um, and then I checked into a hotel in Hartford, Connecticut for the night. There was the NBA game that was stopped in the middle of the game. Um, and then my first day of work, um, we were actually all sent home um, within the first 15 minutes of me coming into the office. Um, they're like, this is Emma, our new broadcaster. We're going to go home and we're going to be safe and work from home for the next three months. Um, and then our season was canceled. Um, so it was it was a very different experience that I ever expected to have um, working with the team. But um, I think that the Sea Dogs prove that the reason, one of the many reasons they're one of the best franchises in the country is that they kept on all of our front office staff, including myself, um, which was surprising um, and paid our game-based staff as well through the pandemic and um, kept us on. And so we were able to have 
at my first season um, in my second year of work with the Sea Dogs this last year, and it was tremendous. It was it was worth the wait, um, is what I like to say. That's awesome to hear. So how did you get into play-by-play? Um, I have been broadcasting since I was 15, actually. My grandfather uh, was a great broadcaster in the Dallas area. He's now retired because he's 96, um, but he uh, got me into it. He was the voice of the Dallas Cowboys, the Texas Rangers, the Chicago White Sox with Harry Carey. And um, towards the end of his career, he started uh, being a professor at the University of North Texas. And one day I was there um, in high school helping him keep score for a broadcast. He had an extra headset and said, you know, you know, basketball, because that was my sport growing up. Um, let's see what you want to talk about. And I loved it from the instant I put the headset on. Um, it was fantastic. So ever since I was 15, I've been um, you know, a broadcaster and uh, my lofty goals have kind of evolved and changed as I've gone through my career. But um, I've always wanted to be a broadcaster since I was 15. That story gave me goosebumps. Your <laughs> grandfather must be so proud of you. I just, I love this story. Yeah, he's awesome. And he still listens to every single game. Um, you know, even through the, all the time zones that I have lived in, he has stayed up late and uh, gives me critiques on every game, whether it's baseball or basketball, football, whatever sport I'm calling, he's always there to, you know, remind me to say the score or paint the picture better and, and different things like that. So it's cool to get that feedback. How incredible to have your grandfather as a, a mentor and someone who's going to help you and has helped you just get better over the years. It's amazing. Definitely. So speaking of your career, you uh, had a stint in Alaska. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was actually my first job in baseball. Um, I was at a time in college and uh, I wanted to work for a network like an ESPN radio or, or Westwood One Sports. And so I thought, well, to round out my tape, I need to be better at baseball. And so I went and I Googled summer collegiate leagues in America. There was a great Wikipedia page at the time. It listed out all the leagues. So I went to each league's website, went to each then team's website, emailed every GM that I could. And I got two responses back out of hundreds of emails that I sent. And one of them was for Palmer, Alaska, which is just outside of, uh, of Anchorage. And it was one of those things where it was like, when am I ever going to go to Alaska? Um, it was an unpaid internship, but they paid for my airfare, gave me a host family and a car. And so I said, why not? And so I got on a plane, I flew and landed uh, in Anchorage at 11 o'clock at night. It was about three o'clock sunshine level for the lower 48 states because it was still so bright outside because the sun never sets. Um, and I had the experience that really kind of changed the trajectory of my career. It was at that point that I wanted to work in baseball um, because you get to do it every day. You get to go to the ballpark every single day. And if you're not doing that, you're on a bus to a totally different city and you get to see a new part of the country. Um, so I shifted from wanting to work for a network to wanting to work for a baseball team. And um, now the goal is Major League Baseball. Well, that's amazing. And your story is one of tenacity. I had a question about you landing your first gig and how did you do it? So you just explained how tenacious you were to go online and find all those clubs and send all those individual emails. Tell me a little bit more about that. And you know, your first job in Alaska, then what was next and how did that come about? Well, it actually, a lot of it uh, starts with all those emails because like I said, two responded back to me. And so one was the last, which I took. The second was another general manager uh, with a team in Southern Oregon. And he said that 
you know, I sounded great. I had a great resume, but they had already hired for that season circle back around after the, the season and maybe there'll be an opening. So as soon as Alaska was done and I knew I wanted to stay in baseball, I hit up that general manager and um, that was in Medford, Oregon with Medford Rogues, another summer collegiate team. And I stayed there for two years. Um, and basically at that point, I started talking to minor league broadcasters and executives and, you know, asking what this position looks like at the minor league level. And so that includes game notes and staff packs and roster moves and all that kind of stuff. So I basically just did all of that. But for Medford, um, I designed the program for the all-star game and everything like that, traveled with the team, basically making myself the perfect candidate to be hired at the minor league level, um, not knowing that the whole female thing would come up and that would make it a lot harder than, you know, my counterparts. But um, at the time I was set on a goal of working in minor league baseball. And um, so I just made my position look like a minor league baseball position at the time. So you, since you mentioned it, can you talk a little bit about I don't know if hardship is the right word or, or difficulty or a couple more hurdles to overcome being a female broadcaster. What, um, what's that been like? I'll say that it, it's not as bad as everyone thinks it could be. Um, you know, a lot of people think, Oh, the players must treat you differently or, or say little comments or stuff. I, it's really not, I haven't been, I haven't run into that kind of stuff. I've been very fortunate. The biggest hurdle I would say that I had to get over was just breaking into minor league baseball, breaking into affiliate. Um, I was shocked at the interviews that I had because I would save all my money and every year just to go to winter meetings and pay for the job fair. Like that's what my off season work, all that went to winter meetings, which hopefully we'll have again. But um, I paid a lot of money to, to have these interviews and stuff. And I became really close friends with a lot of other broadcasters and we would talk about our interviews after the fact and mine were more, you know, asking me if I knew certain plays in baseball and how to score things. And theirs was just like, Hey man, like you like the Red Sox. That's cool. Me too. Like, and just talking about that kind of stuff. Um, but my, the one that really sticks out was the one that I thought was an interview, but uh, sat down with an executive of a minor league team. And they said, I'm really sorry. Um, but my owners uh, won't let me hire a female broadcaster. Um, but I'll critique your tape and critiqued my tape while I'm sitting there just like, what is going on? Um, so, you know, in those moments, I just let my, I vent to one person. I let myself be angry about it for 10 seconds. And then I let it kind of fuel the fire and just keep on moving. And you know what, I'm in one of the top organizations now. I'm very proud to say I'm the voice of the sea dogs and, um, it all worked out, but, uh, there were definitely some hurdles just honestly getting into the sport and getting into affiliated. I didn't have a, a problem getting into independent with the St. Paul Saints. Um, it was, it was weirdly enough, just all affiliated. Um, but ever since then I've been welcomed with open arms and I haven't had any other issues. Wow. So if the listeners could have seen my face with my, you know, giant eyes and gasping, you know, <laughs> through a mute on the other side of the zoom call here, you know, those, those are some really challenging circumstances to overcome and many people would, would throw in the towel. I remember reading an interview about Kim Ng and she had said that um, before her first interview with the White Sox or during her first interview with the White Sox, she was asked to calculate a batting average. And <laughs> she, she just did the work and, you know, kept mm -hmm. her head down and, and has, has done so for a long time. Um, 
I'm sure overcoming a lot in the background, like you've described already, Emma, in, in your career. You know, and what you've done to, to use that to become stronger is really inspirational. So thank you for sharing that story. I know that's not easy. No, but you know, it's all in the past now. <laughs> totally. So, okay. We talked a little bit about, about the players. You mentioned traveling with the team. What is that like? You know, broadcasters go on the road and, you know, you're calling home and road and there's a heck of a lot of games, not a lot of time off. What are those road trips like? And um, kind of tell us about what, what your day-to-day looks like in season. Uh, well, long days, that's for sure. Um, I will say that this last season with the, the new schedule with the Mondays off um, was, was really nice. Um, I got to get, I was used to it. The players liked it. Um, we use it as a travel day uh, for the most part, but um, you know, traveling with the team is fun. This year, of course, was weird with COVID um, because you know, we started with a ton of restrictions. We couldn't get on the field and then we could get close to the field, but not on it quite yet. Um, I never really interacted face-to-face with a lot of our players or even my manager. Everything was just via Zoom or through the, uh, the foul netting. You know, it was very bizarre. And then all of a sudden our guys got vaccinated. I got vaccinated before the season started um, and the restrictions were lifted and they're like, you can go on the bus now. So I randomly just showed up to our first trip to, uh, I think it was Binghamton. And just got on the bus. Half the players don't didn't even know who I was um, until they realized that, oh, yeah, she's the one we've talked to via Zoom and she's the broadcaster. And so, um, you know, it's it's a lot of fun on the road. There are less responsibilities. So it's kind of nice that I don't have to um, print out stat packs and rosters and all that kind of stuff. I just handle the roster moves and the game notes um, and anything else that comes up that I can handle on the road. Um, but your responsibilities of being the home broadcaster are less, um, which is kind of nice. So you kind of have a chance to, to get the, get to know the players a little bit more, um, you know, kind of stay in a routine. Um, but yeah, on the road, it's cool because you also get to see on the bus, the guys away from the field. And so my favorite moment from the season traveling wise was when one of our pitchers was promoted. Um, and I won't name names, but because I think there's a, a nice kind of trust there too, but uh, when he was promoted, uh, it was a tradition that you had to sing a karaoke song on the bus to celebrate. And so that night there was a lot of Whitney Houston um, on the bus in, in celebration of his promotion. So it's it's cool to see those kind of behind the scenes moments that are special to them and that, you know, moments that they'll never forget. And I won't either because it's it's just so pure to see that that excitement. I love that story. And uh, those those call up moments are so exciting and to get to be there to witness that you know seeing somebody's dream come true has just got to be so special do you have any other favorite moments uh in your career you called back-to-back south atlantic league championships with the lexington legends so there's got to be something there definitely so uh my favorite i have really two moments one from lexington one from portland but the one from Lexington was the walk-off win for the second championship. Um, the first one was, was special because I had called many championship series ahead of, uh, before that they'd all been losing. And so I was really tired of calling losing championship games. Cause it just is t- a terrible way to end the season. Um, so the first championship we won on the road, which is, it's great. It's the championship, but it's not the same with your, without your fans there. It's just, it's just not the same. So we were in Lexington and it was a Friday night. We were hoping that the game that we would win that Friday night because there was a UK football game Saturday afternoon. 
that we would go up against and we wouldn't draw any fans because it's UK football. So from the business standpoint, we were really hoping to win that Friday night. And the guys were all pumped up. They wore their Copa jerseys because that's the, the jersey that they won the most in throughout the season. So they thought, you know, they could be the, the Landis for one more night. And uh, 10 minutes before the game started, the starter for the opposing team was scratched. And so they had this reliever come in uh, and start his first game in, in a really long time for them. So we're like, oh, yeah, we have it in the bag. And then it was tied 1-1 after nine innings. So we went into extras. And it, the game just kept going on. And we had the runner on second rule. That's, that was that year. And no one could score. And it was just 1-1. So the game continues on until the bottom of the 13th inning. And by this time, Twitter is really engaged in this. Cespedes Family Barbecue is, is tweeting about us. And um, all the MILB writers are following it. It's, it was really cool interaction because, of course, I did social media for them. So I'm following it as well. So it's Friday the 13th, bottom of the 13th inning runner at second and a guy comes up for us and hits a walk-off home run in the bottom of the 13th inning to make the final score one three obviously it's three to one but it was just one of those things it's like only in baseball would this happen and so it was the most electric thing I've ever seen in my life won the championship um, and then at the same time now looking back that was the last call that I had you know before 2020 happened and that was my last call so for Portland, my favorite thing was opening day. Uh, and we were the first games back, actually, the first games to start on opening day for 2021. And so it was just extra special to, to be able and sit in my booth. I've been waiting for a year to, to sit in and actually call a game. So um, those are two of my favorite moments. So interesting how they ended up being back to back the highest of the high, you know, winning the championship with a walk off. That story is incredible. And then, of course, being baseball, all the, the 13 and the superstition and, and the crazy numbers behind it all. I, I just, I love that story. And then the next moment was opening after the pandemic. And mm -hmm. finally, I mean, you waited a whole year, as you said, to get into that booth and call a game that that's had to have been so special. It really was. I, I won't forget it. And the whole season was a dream and uh, ready to do it again next year. <laughs> That's awesome. So you mentioned briefly your other duties as assigned. So you're running social. Share with us what are those other duties as assigned in minor league baseball? It's all hands on deck uh, at a lot of points in time. Doesn't matter. Oftentimes your position, you're helping wherever help is needed. So tell us a little bit about what you've had to do in those circumstances. Um, well, I will say for Lexington, I had a lot more. Um, responsibilities just because we had a smaller staff. So um, I was in charge of all social media um, and then also all the video boards and all that kind of stuff. We didn't have like Dactronics to um, automatically supply the stats for the video board. So every morning I would get in before anyone else, do my game notes, print staff packs, rosters, the whole thing, and then go upstairs to the press box, manually enter in updated stats for every player home and away after I cut each headshot and formatted it for the video board. And then I had to format all the videos from sponsors that night, make sure the logos were ready. And then uh, once we had the run of show, then I would put it all in um, by inning and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I would call the game, um, hoping there wasn't like a tarp pool or anything like that to really derail me. Um, but Are you guys I'll say hearing this? I mean, talk about like Jill of all trades all of these things that you can do and did do to prep for the game and then have the energy 
to go anywhere from two and a half to four hours on the mic. Yeah. Well, and I was alone. Yeah. And I I didn't have a partner or anything. So um, it was crazy. And that's the thing, like, you know, people don't realize that we work like 10 hours a day and then we have the game, which is another, like you said, two and a half to four, maybe five hours if it's, you know, one of those kind of nights, um, which is just crazy sometimes to think of. Um, but in Portland, you know, we have a little bit of a larger staff. So, um, you know, I'm not the only one that does social media. I'll do a lot of the baseball focused stuff. Um, we have a couple of us that know Forge and how to do the website. But when it comes to the baseball and the media relations side, um, you know, I do the game notes every day, I print out the stat packs, um, I print out the rosters, I communicate roster moves between our clubhouse, MLB, um, MILB, all that, the Red Sox, all that kind of stuff um, is communicated through me. Um, and then talking with the players, setting up their interviews, setting up interviews for our manager. Um, and yeah, just really talking with them, getting ready for the broadcast and seeing what they're working on that, that night, maybe, or, or trying to find little storylines to, to put in the broadcast as well. Yeah, well, and the prep is difficult in minor league baseball because your your roster is constantly evolving, and uh, especially in Reno, um, we've got a lot of moves. And what what's that like? How do you prep enough volume of content for each night? Um, I think a lot of it, it it depends on the person of what works best um, as a broadcaster. For me personally. Um, I have a binder typically. And so I will just take every name of every player on our roster and the visiting team roster too, because I'm not just broadcasting the Sea Dogs um, and just Google them um, and try and find more information about than just their stats. Um, you know, I think that the athletic is a great resource to have because I think they do a lot of good coverage on minor league players um, for interesting storylines. MILB.com, obviously, they're all that, those staff writers are incredible with, with finding stories. So I'll pick little uh, kind of tidbits because, you know, you don't have a ton of time to talk about the players. So I'll just compile that all on a page, print it out um, and put it in numerical order. And then I'll talk to them. You know, I, this year was a little bit different. Couldn't talk to them as much as I wanted to. Um, I primarily just talked to our manager and he was fantastic about um, talking about what each pitcher is working on, whether, you know, he's working on his arm slot, why he went on the development list, um, different things like that. Um, just so just picking their brains and, and just kind of going to the source. I think some people are sometimes scared to, to ask questions and, and be inquisitive about things, but you know, they love the, the game as much as you do. So don't be afraid to ask them because they'll be happy to share what, what they want to. Hey leaders, if you want to be in for a treat, definitely subscribe to the show if you have not done so already, because we have so many amazing episodes coming up. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify, wherever you listen so you don't miss out. And if you leave us a review or post about me or tag Leadership is Female on your Instagram stories to talk about the show, we'll enter you into a giveaway. We're giving away something every single month. Some of my favorite things from my favorite work bag to my favorite sunglasses. Make sure that you spread the word and we will reward you for that. I'll also send you a personal thank you note and repost your comments and reviews. Last thing, did this episode bring you any insights, ideas, aha moments, anything you are inspired by? If so, take one second and share the link 
post about it on your Instagram, text your friend, email, so many ways to share leadership is female. And if you do post about this show, again, don't forget to tag at leadership is female or at Emily Jansen or my awesome guest today, because knowing that this conversation made a difference for you means the world to us and we love to see it. Thank you so much. At Leadership is Female, we are so excited to welcome Mobot as a brand partner. We use and love this product and know you will too. Mobot is a female-founded and led company that has promised to do things differently, from the core philosophy of sustainability and helping people feel good to the holistic approach of healing and creating movement around daily recovery and wellness, Mobot is the best. Mobot is a revolutionary fitness product and was the first to patent the combined high-performance travel, foam roller, and reusable, environmentally sustainable water bottle. Unique and recognizable, Mobot's proprietary technology is designed to be both impressive in form and function, not to mention beautiful and easy to carry. Order your Mobot today and use the code, all one word, leadership is female for 15% off. Visit Mobot.com today to get your Mobot water bottle. Visit Mobot.com. I think that's such a great piece of advice. Go to the source, whether it's for broadcasting or just, you know, for business development, whatever it is, don't be afraid to ask those questions and and go to the person that's going to give, give you the answers. So I think that's, that's phenomenal. What additional advice do you have for someone who wants to get into broadcasting? Um, Just, just go for it. Honestly. Um, I, I don't think that there are as many barriers now that um, that will hinder any person that's really wanting to get into broadcasting, you know, as long as you have a passion for it. Um, because if you, and then, I mean, I, this can apply to really any, any career. If you know, if you're not passionate about it, you can't half-ass anything, you know, you have to go full on hundred percent every day. And so once you find that thing that you're passionate about, just, just do it. Um, I think that with broadcasting, it's unique in the sense of, you know, there's not, maybe there's not games every night. You can't call them or it's tough to break in. I mean, I have called high school football games on the sideline into my phone. I've recorded them and then sent them to my grandfather to him for him to critique me. And then I'll call the next sequence or I'll call the next drive. I'll do the same thing. I wasn't hired by a team. I went and I bought a ticket as a fan and I just was there by myself talking into my phone just so I could get practice calling football games because I was calling the cotton, the cotton bowl uh, between Oklahoma state and Missouri. So I wanted to practice. So, you know, I went to the source, I went to a football game and I, and I practiced. So um, I think that if people are passionate about broadcasting, it's easy as that you can build a tape off of that. You send it out for critiques, which which are incredibly important um, when you're wanting to get better in broadcasting and, and kind of go from there. Um, Just, just go out and call a game. I know Jenny Kavnar with the Rockies, when she was prepping for her play-by-play TV game a couple of years ago, she had her husband play MLB the show and she would call it, it was Rockies. I forgot the opposing team, but they basically had the same rosters and lineups that would be for Jenny's game. And so Jenny would call it while he was playing it. Um, So really at this day and age, you can, you can call any game you want and build your own tape pretty easily. Yeah. Great advice. Just do it and just get started. There's, there's no excuses. I mean, you said you went to a high school football game to get practice 
And yeah. uh, I, I love that story. It goes back to that tenacity that you have. Nothing is going to stop you. And there's there's no excuses in, in Emma's world. It's amazing. So this parlays pretty well into the next question about the biggest hurdle you've had to overcome in your career and, and how did you do it and, and what did you learn? Um, I think it goes back to, to just breaking into minor league baseball um, and hearing the amount of no's that I did um, because I think it was, it hurt a little bit deeper because it was something that I couldn't control. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in control of the fact that I was born a female and that I want to work in a male dominated industry. I just love baseball and I want to work in it every day. Um, so I think it was, you know, realizing that, or it was more like taking a step back and knowing that I'm talented, I'm worthy of a job in minor league baseball, um, I'm good enough, and I have the drive and the passion to do it, um, and not getting swept up in the amount of negativity that I heard interview after interview after I had heard nothing but great things about minor league baseball. So um, I think it was just, you know, letting myself be in the moment of anger and frustration, but then taking a step back and be like, no. I will find a team that respects me for the broadcaster I am. They will hire me because I'm the best for the job. Um, they won't hire me because they want to make a new story out of it, which uh, was an offer for me one time when I turned it down because I didn't want to be that person. Um, so I finally heard those words when Lexington offered me the job. They said I was the best candidate. I would fit in with the front office. And so I took it on the spot because I knew that those were the words I've been waiting to hear. And when Portland said the same thing, and they were, you know, at the double A level, I took the next step with them. So um, I think it was just continuing to push on despite the negativity and the no's that I heard. Yeah, I think that's a great story to share is the, the journey it sometimes takes to, to land a gig. I'll tell you that a couple of seasons ago, actually, it's your, the same timeline as, as yours. Um, I hired a new broadcaster in Reno and I was blown away by the number of applicants and the follow-up mm -hmm. and the dedication to the craft was so inspiring to me to have the privilege to hire that role. And it's funny, a one woman I interviewed previously on the podcast said that you don't lose the job when you don't get the job. It was never yours. You never had it. So if you never had it, how could you lose it? And I thought her perspective was, was really interesting. And as I was listening to you and then thinking about my journey and hiring a broadcaster, I remembered what she said because the candidate that we ultimately selected was one that I probably could have just hired without even going through the process because he had subbed in for us a number of times over the years. Yeah. But I wanted to go through the process and give respect, you know, and a chance to, to other people in the industry, but, you know, the job was no one's to lose who applied because you'd never know the other circumstances regarding the other candidates. And here was this, this broadcaster who had worked for our team, you know, I, he was already in our pay system. So it was sort of like, uh, you know, the transition that you needed to know was, was the right one to make next, but um, just wanted, you know, piggyback on your story and just let people know, like, you didn't lose anything when you don't get hired. It's painful and it sucks, but you never know the circumstances. You might not know the circumstances surrounding the person that does get the job at the end of the day. So it might not have been yours to, to win, so to speak, in the first place. I like that. So 
You, uh, we've talked a lot about you being a female um, broadcaster and, you know, we don't love these headlines, but we got to pay some respect to them so that we can lead the next girl forward and, and shine so that she knows that she can too. So I'm happy that you stepped into that light. And one of the things that you've done in that light is February, 2020, you brought all the female broadcasters together um, in an event. Tell me about that event, why you did it, who was included and why female collaboration in this realm is so important. Yeah, it was it was an incredible event. Um, I would just happen to be talking to our owner in Lexington and um, he was fantastic. We were actually having an open conversation about my next job, um, which I think is very unique you can, uh, of a conversation you can have with your boss uh, while you're currently employed by them. Um, but we were actually listing out organizations that I would like to work at next at the AA and AAA level. And, he was going to see if he knew anyone to maybe network and all this kind of stuff. It was, it was a great conversation. And then I happened to just mention that, Oh, I haven't met, um, you know, like Kirsten Carbach, um, in person who at that time was with double a Reading. Um, I haven't met Jill Guerin yet and all this kind of stuff. And he was, he was shocked that we hadn't met in person yet. We talked via, you know, Twitter or, um, Instagram or, or, or texting. And so he basically said, organize an event, um, bring all the females here and we'll have a panel discussion and have people come out to the ballpark and it'll be a whole event. So we had Jill from Visalia. We had Maura, uh, who's now with Lynchburg, uh, Melanie Newman, who um, <laughs> when I texted her to, to ask her to come out, she was like, great, but I'm not with Salem anymore. Uh, I'm going to have a different team. And I was like, oh, you're going up to like, you know, double A or triple A. She's like, no, I'm going up to the to Baltimore I was like okay um so that was really cool to, to be able to celebrate that with her in person um and then Kirsten uh from Reading and um and it was just it was incredible because we had never met each other in person via winter meetings there's never a little broadcaster summit or anything like that to really connect us and so it was cool to to be able to talk with them in person and commiserate and you know, talk about our experiences and then have someone there that can say, oh, I went through that too. And have someone who knows exactly what it's like to feel, you know, to be a female walking into a clubhouse or to be a female walking on the field or coming off a bus uh, on a road trip and everyone assumes you're the trainer and, you know, because you're with the team and you're, you're not the broadcaster, you're a female. So it was really cool to, to just kind of be surrounded by them um, because I always viewed myself as a broadcaster who just happen to be female. So people want to talk about it. But after that event with them, it was more like, you know what? No, I'm a female broadcaster. I'm kind of a badass. And so are these women and look at us go. And, you know, after that event, obviously COVID hit, but Emily Messina now is with Reading. And um, so we've added numbers to, to our very small little collective. Um, but yeah, I talk to them now every day, um, whether it's Snapchat or text messaging or Instagram um, whatever it is, it, it it brought us so close together um, after all of that. It was extremely uplifting to, to talk to them and hear their stories. And even though we're from different backgrounds, we've all, you know, come together through the little, I guess, sorority of minor league baseball. And, uh, you know, it's it's cool to, to kind of know that they have my back and I have their back every day. Well, I've had Melanie on the podcast and, and Emma, and obviously we were introduced by Jill. So, <laughs> You know, we got to get the whole collective on leadership as female and hear all of your stories. And, and I love that the fellowship that that is created by getting together and then also just the strength of the group to help uplift you. 
It's why I'm such a, a proponent of not just mentorship, but really friendship among mm -hmm. colleagues. Uh, there's strength in numbers. And sometimes as an individual, it's hard to dig deep. And so when you have someone that you can lean on, it really helps you to, to level up. Absolutely. And, and people who know what it's like to go through whatever you're going through, it, it's, it's special. 100%. This has been such an incredible year for women in baseball. Melanie Newman, who we talked about, became part of history on July 21st when she was one of four others, Sarah Langs, Alana Rizzo, Heidi Watney, and Lauren Gardner, they became the first all-female broadcast crew for a Major League Baseball game. Uh, Melanie, the play-by-play -play announcer that night, is now uh, first at ESPN. Who are your role models in the industry, and how important is it for you to have women to look up to? Um, I mean, Melanie, obviously, is a role model. I've known her for years since she was with... Uh with Frisco and we've mm -hmm. hung out and had margaritas together. So we're basically best friends, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think that to see, to see Melanie, uh, you know, also go through the minor league systems and, and, you know, make it to the highest level is incredibly, uh, incredibly inspiring. Um, but I think that, you know, Susan Waldman, I think doesn't get talked about enough. I know she's now getting more, uh, attention for what she has done for women in broadcasting, but I still don't think it's enough for what she's done. Not only, for broadcasting, but also in a New York market, which is, you know, kind of terrifying to work in uh, with such dedicated and passionate fans. Um, I, you know, I think that Susan is, is an absolute credit to our profession and our gender, um, but also Beth Moens. Um, I listened to her calling football games a lot, um, and that was pretty inspiring to hear a female voice calling football at the time. And um, when I did that for Missouri, I, you know, definitely tried to channel my inner Beth Moens. Um, and then Doris Burke for basketball. I mean, you know, I, I think that just having those female voices in, in male dominated uh, sports is so important because it shows, you know, young girls that maybe they don't want to be a broadcaster, but they can hear that they're represented in some way um, in that sport. So if they want to be an executive or a general manager like you are, you know, they have that opportunity because they heard that, oh, well, if a female could call it, then what else can a female do in this industry? Um, and so I think that it's, it's more than just showing that little girls that we, that they can be broadcasters. It's showing that they're, you know, they have a place at the table and, and they're invited in this industry as well. Um, so I, I'd say those, and then also Jenny Kavanaugh with the Rockies, she um, actually was someone who reached out to me when I got the job in Lexington and was so welcoming. I mean, it was, really cool to hear from her and you know I got the Twitter DM alert I was like oh my god you know a major league broadcaster is DMing me and then a couple weeks later she called her game on TV um it was it was really special and now if I see uh you know females in the collegiate level I'll reach out to them and and you know kind of welcome them in and, and see how I can help them so she's kind of you know she started something now that I try and pay it forward as well I love that so much and I I want to point out too, the way that you talk about these other women and how you're inspired by them versus jealous. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, people uh, still will say that women, unfortunately, tear each other down. And the story that you're telling is one of being inspired by others versus jealousy or she got it. I didn't. So there's a different emotion around that. 
I will say though, I was jealous of Melanie because she got to call games in 2020 and I didn't, but that's that was just because we didn't have a season. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is, that's true. And I think that is just absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, Emma, you've been amazing and I'm so grateful for you to be, be here with us today. Want to wrap up with the final four questions. Number one, what's one piece of advice you have for women that they can do today to level up tomorrow? Um, I, I think that it is seek advice of how to be better. Um, if it's how to be better, you know, find out how you can be better today so you can be better tomorrow. Um, whether that's broadcasting, wanting critiques about your work, or, you know, you're an executive or you're in sales and you want to have somebody help you with your, your cold calling or, or something like that. It kind of applies to really anything. Just ask whoever's above you how you can be better and then apply it to tomorrow. Um, I think that's something that I some, somewhat live by and, uh, yeah. You get to travel uh, the Northeast a lot, but where are you planning your next vacation? Um, I'm going home to Dallas uh, for Christmas. I don't know if it's a vacation per se, but my, uh, my next true vacation is for my bachelorette party in Miami before the season starts. Oh, love that. <laughs> yeah. It's a great, great spot for the bachelorette party. Mm -hmm. And it's warmer than Maine. So <laughs> it helps. <laughs> also true. Also true. Although I don't know, you got to compare the seafood because you've That's got true. it pretty, pretty good up North. Definitely. What is your walk-up song? Okay. This one was tough. I actually had to go through Spotify um, and, and see which one I was, I was kind of vibing to, but I think it would be freaks by uh, Timmy trumpet and savage. Um, just because, you know, if I didn't have enough coffee in the morning and I was driving to the ballpark early, uh, I would kind of blast this song and it would wake me up. So I think it would do the same thing if I was walking to the plate. Love it. Okay. Last question. And our favorite question here on leadership is female. What is your favorite quote? Um, it is by Babe Ruth, uh, of course, because it's baseball. Um, and it is hard. It is hard to beat a person who never gives up. I got that one framed on my wall. So <laughs> it's next to my work computer downstairs. <laughs> Naturally, that is, is a great one. And you can't beat Babe Ruth. And my middle name is Ruth. And I mind you. Is it really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Emma Ruth and Emily Ruth. Look at us over here. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> so I did not like my middle name when I was younger. Um, until I learned about Babe Ruth and then I thought mm -hmm. I was pretty cool. And then also it's my great grandmother's name. So, you know, that, that earns its keep as you get older. Yeah. Um, but, but as a kid, Babe Ruth, that was, that was pretty sweet. Yep. I had the same experience. I was like, I just sound like an old woman with my middle name. And then, <laughs> cause it was my great grandmother who had that name too, How but funny. then it was Babe Ruth. So it was cool. Yeah. Oh, soul sisters, Emma. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it has been so fun to talk to you today. I know this conversation is going to lead her forward and in her career, you're such a pro and uh, we can't wait to see you just continue to succeed in the future. Thank you so much. One last question. Where can we follow along your journey? Uh, it is, uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Emma Teeds, T-I-E-D-S. Thank you so much, Emma. With that, let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, Making it in a career you are passionate about requires tenacity. You may send hundreds of emails to land your next role and only get two responses. Take those two responses and run with it. Those are your starting blocks and your efforts will yield results. 
No matter how small those results are, they are worthy. Number two, go to the source. In broadcasting and in business, don't be afraid to ask the question. It's the only way you will get the answer. People are more willing to give you the answer than you just might think. Number three, seek advice on how to be better. Ask for critique to help you grow. Number four, when it comes to women winning in their careers, be inspired, not jealous. That attitude will take you far. Thank you for listening to the Leadership is Female podcast. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with this podcast today. If you like this episode, subscribe, share, and review. What can you do today to lead her forward? We will do our part to lead her forward because leadership is female. Thank you for joining us. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus, and distributed by Anchor FM.